Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover. Well, welcome everyone to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright Constable Skeen in Baltimore, Maryland. And today I'm joined by my special guests, uh, Grace Shalmo, uh, Teresa Pham, and Jim Carlson with Partner Engineering and Science. Uh, the title of our presentation today is Revisiting the Impact of COVID-19. In May, uh, Jim and I discussed the, the impact of COVID-19 looking ahead. We've now gone uh, through four and a half months or so of COVID, and we wanted to revisit the impact uh, on surety and construction during the summer. As always, uh, we like to open up our episodes with a big thank you to everyone uh, for your support of surety today. We ask that uh, you pass along our contact information to any colleagues who you think may be interested in calling in or checking out one of the podcasts. Remember, you can always take uh, Surety Today along with you on your commute. Uh, listen to one of our prior episodes from one of our multiple locations at uh, our, our Surety Today page on our website, wcslaw.com. As a podcast at iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, or Podbean, just search for Surety Today. And on our micro site at suretytoday.net. We've got over uh, four years of monthly presentations, so there's a lot of content. As always, we've muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise. We will unmute the line at the end uh, for any questions. As we get started, I wanted to introduce our guest. Uh, Jim Carlson is the technical director, uh, a technical director with Partner Engineering. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree, a Master's in Business Administration, and a Juris Doctor degree. He leads the, uh, the owner's representative, surety bond claim review, and subject matter expert expert witness teams for partners. He has uh, worked on project scopes that range from minor repairs to large scale, technically complex matters. Jim's been uh, in the construction industry for 20 years. His experience includes mechanical, electrical, plumbing systems and controls. Uh, he's also well-versed in surety completion and fire life safety review and analysis. Teresa Pham is, uh, has a bachelor of science degree, a master's degree and is an EIT. She works as a senior project manager for Partner Engineering. Her career has mainly been in construction consulting, but she also has experience in, in performing uh, accessibility reviews, property condition assessments. She's worked in commercial, education, government, healthcare, heavy civil transportation, industrial and residential markets. Grace Shalmo is a uh, project manager for Partner Engineering. Her career has been in construction consulting and design build services. She has worked in uh, education, healthcare, aviation, and parking structure markets. She has uh, worked on claim evaluation, construction cost estimating, risk evaluation, and general project management support on surety claims. Partner Engineering and Science uh, Inc. offers a full service surety engineering, environmental engineering, consulting uh, design services around the world. In 2019, Partner was named as one of the one of Inc. Magazine's 5,000 fastest growing private companies in America. In addition, Partner was featured in the engineering news record top 200 environmental firms, ranking at number 100 
and in ENR's top 500 design firms ranked at, at number 149. Okay, so uh, first let's let's uh, talk about the the impact of COVID-19 that, that we've seen over the intervening months from May to now, uh, looking at the, you know, the, the impact in terms of the operation of a construction project, uh, the PPE, the social distancing, the sanitation, the testing, all of these issues. Um, Jim, Teresa, Grace, uh, throw, it, throw it to you to, to, to respond. What are you guys seeing out there and, and how are these projects being run now? Well, one of the most interesting things we run into, uh, this is Jim Carlson, by the way, uh, is uh, confusion uh, at the outset as to which direction people would go. Should they mothball sites, wait this thing out? Should they press forward, see what they could get done, and possibly run out of the materials necessary to safeguard the site? Uh, and on the latter, the biggest question mark was, if we proceed, do we have enough procedures in place and enough PPE to avoid what could be litigation if people get sick and it's determined we're the proximal cause, right? We caused this site to move forward and didn't mothball it. Therefore, you know, it's on us to somehow protect these people. Um, PPP on the site, PPE on the site at first was a big problem. We couldn't get it anywhere. Uh, in fact, we have one client whose, whose product line is more in the cosmetics business and they were deemed non-essential and they ended up creating a line of hand sanitizer on the fly so that they could be reclassed as essential and get back open and moving. And then they supplied uh, a good deal of the PPP, PPE they needed for their site from their own production system. Um, Grace, what were your thoughts on this? Um, well, it's still difficult for us to obtain PPE, specifically the N95 masks, um, but I think, and the KN95, um, even for people who specifically need it, uh, but I think that they're kind of starting to streamline the processes and it's getting a little bit easier and we found some, um, some other alternatives for, you know, wearing gaiters and other types of um, protective clothing. Do you guys have to get your temperatures taken when you go to the sites? Um, it depends on the site. In some places you do, some places you don't. Um, it seems that some places who began starting um, temperature taking maybe found it to be too inefficient and the workers um, have started to become a little bit more lax on it. Um, but that, I, I can't say that that's um, widely across the industry just in my experience. And how about social distancing? What are you guys running into when you're on the site? Well, based on what I've been hearing, um, even though they try to enforce social distancing, it's essentially left to the laborers. And whether or not um, their site supers and such will enforce social distancing. But, I mean, a lot of the tasks that they're up to don't typically allow for the social distancing. So in those instances, they tend to um, cap the extended exposure to just 15 minutes. Um, in those instances would be when they, they pour concrete or do form work or are operating man lifts. But in those situations, I've also heard that they try to pair up the laborers so that 
they can try to limit exposure and the spread of coronavirus. My next question is, what are they doing on job sites in terms of providing sanitation and cleaning of the sites? Is that taking place? Um, based on what I've heard and seen, it really depends from contractor to contractor. So typically it's the larger ones that will provide sanitation. I've heard of an instance where they would ask one of their laborers to go in 30 minutes prior to the workday to start spraying down all the equipment and the tools and the rest of the day it's essentially left up to the laborers to use the provided sanitizing wipes to wipe down the equipment they use whether or not they choose to do it it's up to the laborer so with these safety measures and the, and the, uh, the different protocols that are being put into place um, how, what are we seeing in terms of the impact on the overall job performance. Um, it's kind of a mixed bag. A lot of the senior people working, and then the senior people are faster, but you don't have junior people out there learning and training. So you're kind of losing out on that. Well, I'll say this. I, I looked at uh, a recent uh, survey from the AGC, uh, the, the uh, Associated General Contractors, August survey that said that roughly a third of the responding firms uh, had, had laid off workers, brought them back, um, and, and some have refused to return. 52% uh, are reporting having a hard time uh, filling their hourly positions. What, what are you seeing in terms of the impact on the labor market? We are That's seeing fine. that there is a shortage in craft workers. Um, we're seeing that a lot of people don't want to return to work either because of the, or hadn't wanted to return to work because of the unemployment incentive. Um, and it, we have to kind of wait and see how that's going to continue as the government um, decides what they're going to do or when they're going to um, reduce the additional income further. Um, we're seeing that different industries within construction are experiencing different types of shortages and they're having different ways of coping such as including um, increased pay for workers trying to entice people from other industries into the construction industry um, and, and other uh, coping mechanisms such as that. I've totally heard of that Grace. Um... There have been many instances of poaching going on on top of all of this, where one contractor will take the labor force of the other contractor just because of shortages on their own and say one of their crews is out with COVID. And if they don't have redundancies or other crews, they've just been going that route, trying to make sure that they're covered. It is a challenge when, uh, People sitting at home, in many instances, make the same amount or more money than they do going to work. They're, they don't even have to have a fear of getting sick. If your take-home pay is normally, and we'll just say $650 a week, and or, or $550 a week, and unemployment now gives you $650 a week, would you go back to work to lose $100 a week? That's the question. Right. Well, let me let me circle back on that on the one question about what kind of impact are we seeing on um, on the projects because of all the safety protocols. 
the AGC reports that the coronavirus um, has, has undermined the productivity levels um, and that 40% of the responding firms to the August survey reported that it takes longer to complete the projects and 32% say it's costing more to complete these ongoing projects. Uh, is that that's consistent, I, I assume, with what you're seeing in the, in the market? Yes. Um, so a lot of these contractors are now having to pay for the PPE and taking the additional time to sanitize or going back to the whole temperature check thing. I've heard of instances where they've had to actually stagger their um, start times to make sure that it's not impacting their um, working hours because there used to be a bottleneck when they first started um, temperature taking. And who's who's paying for these delays, this extra time? Uh, are we seeing the contractors uh, looking to the owners? Are we seeing the owners saying it's your problem? Based on the contractors I've been talking to, they basically said they're currently just tracking it. It's been um, there are multiple different instances. So there's one where they have just been tracking it, hoping that one day they'll recoup it from the owner. There are other instances where, say, an agency was shut down and their team wasn't able to get their structural submittal reviewed, and that had to go to the city, and then that ended up going to a outsourced consultant to do that review. They're just tracking it. It's unclear at the moment where and who is going to have to pay for it, but I have heard rumors saying that whoever tried to shut the project down, if it got shut down, would be the one who would incur it. Um, they do note that their contracts leave much gray area, and that's the extent of what I've heard. What about you and Jim? Grace? Well, the, I, I know one thing, we even do it. We track for the delays created by COVID. And there's uh, the IRS has some sort of a tax benefit they're going to give to the, at the corporate level. We don't really see it at our level in the field. But um, any delays created by this, like every time we have a site walk that we're supposed to go do that gets canceled because someone can't be there because there's a concern over COVID or, or a scheduling issue, or we can't get an approval from the city for plan check. Uh, all those delays we document so that um, they can try and get reimbursed later. I'm sure that'll be one prong. The other will be, you know, you're going to have, even even if the owner doesn't pay for sanitizing or anything else, you're going to have massive extensions in general conditions. We're seeing it. And some of these sites that were supposed to be wrapped up three, four months ago, they're, they're going to go for another six months. Um, they're going to have to pay for the general conditions of the GC to be there. They're not just going to eat that. Uh, so those costs are and delays are definitely going to be felt and are being felt by the owners and developers. Yeah, we've we've done some we've done some uh, sure today presentations on you know the force majeure clauses, impossibility clauses, things like that. Uh, and I think people are really going to have to be digging through their contracts to find uh, what, what kind of provisions they've got that'll help. But, but as you're talking about too, it's really important for, for, for the parties to document everything and to really be, be tracking the costs and the delays and the causes. I've got a case now where, uh, where the owner has, has assessed the uh, $200,000 in LDs and the, 
you know, the, the, the principal's position is, well, the COVID delayed our ability to get our, you know, specially manufactured stuff. And, and all that's going to have to be documented and proven in order to, to, to get out from under the, the, uh, the LD claim from the owner. So it's, it's going to be difficult, um, and everybody's got to really be thinking in terms of how are we documenting this? What do we got that we can use at the end of the process in order to prove that there was actual delay caused by, by COVID so that we can fall in under some, um, some uh, contract provision? So we, we talked about the, the safety efforts that were being employed on the projects. And so the, the question that I have for, for you three is, have you seen any situations where COVID has popped up on a project? And then what, you know, what are they doing in response to that? Do they shut the whole thing down? Do they shut a crew down? Do they just send the guy home? Or, you know, what, what are you seeing out there? I have seen across the board where if it's a smaller contractor, I've seen them just have that sole person come out, take the test, sit at home, and wait until the result comes. And it's not until it comes back positive that they start doing reconnaissance and going back and identifying all the people that the person came into contact with. Um, I've also seen the other end of the spectrum where one person's sick or feeling unwell and they pull the entire crew. Um, as I kind of alluded to before, some contractors just don't have multiple crews. And if it's that one crew that they need and they can't replace, it kind of shuts the whole project down. Um, there is, that typically has been on projects where there are like confined spaces or it's like a tunneling project where you are in an enclosed area and you can't really avoid other people and air goes in one way and comes out one way. So in those instances, if someone gets sick, the entire team gets sick and gets pulled and the project just stops for the two weeks or so until they feel better. Yeah, the, the other thing I'll see is the, if they've got an isolated incident, uh, they'll have that person stay home and and test self quarantine, uh, and then they'll coordinate with the general contractor, as Teresa's mentioning. Some of them are smaller, and they'll flat out put out the help. <laughs> We're going to need to borrow a person from your team, or or can you allocate some of them, and we'll you know we'll just do a charge back just to keep the crew moving because, as she mentioned, some sometimes the reason you get the contracting team you get is because they're the best number. And that, in some cases, is because they're just a smaller firm with lower overhead. In order to keep that value for the client, you've got to be more flexible. So for completion general contractors, one of the keys is for them to have a few jacks of all trades that can jump in, be fillers, and help out. Um, so far, we've had fairly good luck with that. But as Teresa mentioned, some specialty contractors, especially ones working in confined space, you don't have someone on your crew to loan to that. They have to have special certifications. And confined space crews, by their very nature, tend to be very nimble, small teams with four to six people. One sick, they're all sick, and you're delayed. Unfortunately, most confined space work has to do with boilers, chillers, electrical vaults, uh, down in the sewer line connections and systems. And those systems 
unfortunately are the ones that require the most municipal agencies involved to get complete. So if you miss your target date, the delays can, they can be fairly dramatic, sometimes a couple months before you can get the municipal crews back out for final connections on uh, electrical water and sewer. Right. I would think uh, government jobs where you need the security clearance and all that kind of stuff to uh, to get out there on projects could be a problem. But I, I haven't really been seeing it or hearing about it in the industry that, that a lot of jobs have been impacted by people actually coming down with the virus on the job. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, in May, we, we talked about the impact of, of COVID-19 on the supply chain. Um, what, what have you all seen in terms of availability of, of supplies being impacted and impacting performance because of COVID-19? Jim, let's start with you and you can pass it around. Actually, Teresa and Grace have the most knowledge on this one because they deal with it on the ground. So, Teresa, you want to go first on this one? Um, so one of the major components is concrete so far. Um, concrete has been hard to come by. Uh, it's not just the cement, but also the fly ash. And there have been instances where I've heard that they've actually started trying to stockpile fly ash, which may be amplifying the issue. Um, as of recent, I've also heard that there are issues getting Douglas fir, which is what we usually use in timber construction. Um, price for lumber has just increased 200%, and they're now trying to find alternative materials. And I think the one that hopefully not everyone's jumped to is laminated timber, but that's also a more cost um, costly material. Um, I've also heard issues with lead time on galvanized MSE straps for the mechanically stabilized earth walls. What used to take three months now takes some six months to acquire these straps. Um, beyond that, just even small hand tools and typical construction equipment that you would need, like the stuff that you can buy at Home Depot had been off the shelf for a while. Um, Grace, anything on your end you'd like to add? Um, that we're also seeing um, holdups in delivery of, of other things like um, furniture to projects. Uh, they're doing kind of improvements. Um, sometimes we'll see, uh, like in the case of one project, the furniture manufacturer went out of business and it wasn't actually communicated to the people on the project in time, and it caused a delay in the furniture and then um, the already prevalent ship shipping delays just across every industry um, is, is really causing a problem and further pushing, pushing the availability of supplies um, back. My, my biggest challenge is with mechanical equipment for HVAC, lighting controls, plumbing, sewer connection, any control monitoring systems. We seem to have basic functional equipment around like a, a condenser or evaporator, but they don't seem to have all the variants on the models, all the bells and whistles, if you will, available. They've got like stock units available. And in some cases, the lead time on getting the one that's got whatever specifications are on it is so long that the uh, contractor is getting the architect and designer to waive the requirement 
and procuring the generic product, getting it, and then buying a BMS system, um, building management system, or, or modification to a building management system that will deal with the items that we're missing on that. For the simple fact, the lead time can be six or eight weeks longer. And frankly, by the time you're putting HVAC and lighting equipment in on most projects, the only thing you've got left is drywall, mud tape, paint, flooring. And you don't have six weeks. So spending $25,000 for some systems that are really not what you planned on putting in in the first place versus having a, a site delay out two or three months with thirty to $50,000 in general conditions, it, the no-brainer is spend the money on the control that will deal with the deficiency. Uh, and to Grace's point, the biggest challenge I run into is miscommunication between the supply house the subcontractor, the general contractor, and the architect. And in some cases, I have seen the email come through that says there will be a six or eight week delay or longer. And the architect simply emails back and tells them, well, figure it out. <laughs> There's no figure it out. It's not available. And so some of the pressures we're used to being able to apply in the construction process of telling people, hey, go sharpen your pencil, get back on this, make something happen. If it's on a freighter from China going through scrutiny and customs, it's not going to go faster. We only have so much leverage. So those delays are serious. And we have sites that are several months delayed specifically because of equipment we're just not going to be able to get. And unfortunately, much of that equipment is stuff you need to get your certification of occupancy or your notice of completion for public work. Yeah, it's definitely an issue that um, that the contractors have to anticipate in advance and really check with the suppliers because you're right, the communication might not be there. You think it's a three-week item, and really it's turned into it's turned into two months because of a, a problem at the at the plant. Um, so, one of the other questions we talked about in May uh, was if, in a situation where a surety has to take over. What's the market like out there for replacement contractors? They're a premium right now. I, I do not see a lot of contractors sitting there with no work. So the ones that have work, they're staying as busy on it as they can. Um, but I, I don't have any contractors calling me to get more work. Uh, I, I take that back. I have had one contractor who recently committed completed a surety uh, takeover for us up in Northern California. That firm did call and thank us for the opportunity, which is ironic, you know, it's rare you get any thank yous in the surety business, but we got one. Um, that was the only instance I've had so far though. And their only ask was, is there more work coming? And to add to that, one of the issues that we're seeing is that some, uh, some contractors, they may have work or they may be looking for work, but they're also looking for those workers, again, because of the craft shortage. Um, so, so some contractors are declining acceptance of projects because they don't have the resources. We see that too. I know two municipalities have shared with me their concern is that they're going to end up with trunk slammers bidding their scopes, and that is making them extremely nervous. It's Trunk slammers, you mean folks that may come in from out of town, maybe not uh, entirely qualified, but being the low bidder? 
Yeah, or someone who worked for a firm that was good, that did a good job, and then someone signed off on their experience. They pulled their own license. Someone staked them so they could get a bond. But, yes, they have nothing but a vehicle and tools in the trunk. Yeah, hence the <laughs> trunk slamming term. So uh, one last question. We're getting, we're getting on to our time here, but uh, – what kind of problems are you seeing on the government owner side with respect to COVID-19? I know a lot of government agencies are still in various modes of shutdown and, and, and reopening, and it's it's a mess out there. What do you what do you see? But let me well, throw Teresa, it to Grace. Grace first. What do you think? And Teresa, comment on LAUSD because you're dealing with them the most right now. Uh, so we're seeing that. Government owner plan reviews, um, it really depends on the agency um, and really what state they're in, um, because they're all kind of flying by the seat of their pants right now. Uh, but many agencies are, are not conducting open table reviews. Um, you're having to mail plans in. It's slowing down the process. Lead times were already very long, and now they've increased. Um, and, and companies and project managers are really having to um, commit to, to special planning to include these needs, these inefficiencies um, into their budget and their timeline. Um, although some some government issues aren't showing or agencies aren't showing any signs of issues. Um, and I'll let you talk about um, LAUSD if you want to see Teresa. Mm, yes, I've been working with LAUSD and we're essentially wrapped up, um, I had noticed on one occasion where they were not necessarily communicating the way they may have been doing in the past where, you know, you used to be able to walk down the office and get the inspector to sign off on something. But beyond that, I have heard of no other issues other than some struggling to figure out when to come back versus not, um, how they're doing their rotational um, and office work and all that stuff. It's just generally, as Jim said, a communication issue um, and an efficiency one at that. Um, Jim, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I just noticed when, you know, when we did the initial um, walkthrough with the city, it was prior to COVID. And they, they had a fairly streamlined approach to meeting, walking, reviewing the site. It, it all made sense. We were all working together. And then February, March, as the COVID started to hit, suddenly the inspector that was working on it suddenly got re, rerouted to, to do a, a totally different scope somewhere else and was no longer tied to ours. The person with the most knowledge about what the issues were was no longer there. And then we were trying to coordinate with other members of their team who didn't have firsthand knowledge of what the issues were. And we were frankly in multiple situations forced to walk out with handwritten notes from previous site walks from the original inspector and our own replacement contractor trying to make heads or tails of what was really rejected and still needed to be done. It caused serious delays and it was a solid seven day lead time before we could get a face-to-face -face meeting anytime we walked. I would say we had at least three times we went out and walked the site unnecessarily for the simple fact we didn't have good coordinated information. 
And unfortunately, that, that was nothing we could do to move that along any faster. LA Unified simply had no plan uh, to deal with the fact that an inspector needed to be relocated and a new person had, did not receive a proper download. Yeah, they, we're we're experiencing the same kinds of issues with the uh, with the court system being closed down and partially opening up and in various administrative orders, and so now we're we we've really shifted to a lot of virtual meetings with with Zoom or other uh, meeting services, and I've had I've had hearings, mediations, and and even trials uh, by by Zoom. So it's the court system is adapting to this sort of remote. Uh, uh, communications and contact in order to get around uh, the COVID issues. So I, I wanted to thank uh, thank Grace and Teresa and Jim for joining me today. We're, uh, we're out of time. I've got to uh, close up here. And, and before I do, the next um, surety today will be Monday, October 12th. Uh, as I noted last month, my firm is a co-sponsor of the annual Northeast Surety and Fidelity Claims Conference, which is generally held in New Jersey in September, but because of COVID, the in-person conference has been changed to a webinar. The first ever Northeast Surety Fidelity Claims webinar will be held on uh, September 24th, 25th, and you can get CE and CLE credits. Our very own Tom Moran will be one of the presenters. Uh, if you are in the Philadelphia area, the uh, Philadelphia Surety Claims Association will hold its annual golf outing live and in-person on October 26th at the Bala Golf Club. You can contact me uh, if you'd like to attend and I can get you the registration information. Again, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, let me open up the line now to see if we have any questions. Okay, we're in talk mode. Who wants to talk? Has anybody seen any improvement in the construction space or does it seem to be getting worse? We, we don't see any improvement on any area. It, it appears that as materials and labor become more scarce, uh, we just see more profound delays. And I, I think from a from an economic numbers standpoint, um, we, we really are kind of, um, you know, there's been some recovery because of just of the nature of the shutdown and then, and then reopening, but uh, there's still, according to the AGC survey, there's still a lot of concern about the future and uh, when things are going to return to normal. There's concern over um, uh, the governmental agencies not having the sufficient funding to fund construction projects. And so you see, you see projects being shut down. Um, so yeah, there's still, the market is still trying to grapple with this mess. Any other questions? of the audience. Do you guys see the same thing we see with delays with the city? Honestly, that's the, the bane of our existence is no matter how fast we move everything else along, these, these municipalities, they're, they're just frozen. Uh, this is Ken with uh, ICW. I've seen, I don't know if they're just being slower because they're working from home, but they don't seem to be responding as quick. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you again for calling in, and thanks to uh, Jim, Teresa, and Grace for uh, for joining me. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next month. Thank you, Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright Constable and Skeen website 
at wcslaw.com backslash surety-today.